Hello and a big welcome back to Expected Goals. It's been a crazy few days uh, for us, um, a while since we've done a podcast and we've got a lot to talk about. Um, a really, really good point last night against Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge, the first point that we've taken uh, away at Chelsea um, ever, pretty much. So, um, you know, very well done to the team in in that sense. We've, uh, we've, we've broken new ground, um, you know, maybe felt like we could have come away with more, with a few chances missed at the end, but a point on the march towards safety, just edging, crawling towards uh, next season is, is fine by me. Um, I don't think we're going to talk about the game right now. We're going to we're going to talk about obviously the bigger the bigger story. Um, a very nearly a super league, not a European super league, but just a super league. Uh, the door being open, left open for American, Chinese, and South American teams to to join the party, um, but but no more because. Um, Pretty much as soon as it got started, it, it, it's wilted away. Uh, the cowardly owners have have shrunk back into into their caves. Uh, many many leaving, many resigning. Um, some suggesting that that might happen over the, over the next few months. Complete fallout, capitulation, a busted flush, whatever you want to call it. Um, football has 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 won in this instance, so we're we're very pleased with that outcome. Liam. Um, you know, it's it's difficult to make sense of everything that's happened. Um, obviously, everyone seems united in in not wanting this to happen. Uh, it shows uh, the kind of worrying indication of of where football is going and and the power imbalance. You know, for for you, what what are the main problems with this proposed idea? How bad could it have been? And 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 how concerned were you when when the news broke? Um. To be honest, I never really, and I know this is uneasy to say with, you know, the benefit of hindsight, but I, I said to people at the time when I've been speaking to, to my dad, to, to mates and stuff, that I really didn't think it would get off the ground to a state where it would actually manifest into anything. Um, purely from the, the amount of outrage and that as soon as sort of the players started saying that they weren't keen on it, for me, that, that was the, um, you know, the real evidence that it was going to be a problem because obviously you need players to play in this and, um, it all seems so tied up with, I know they're now talking about how contracts are going to work and that people are tied to things. Um, but the, the claims they were coming out with, you know, about 16 to 24 year olds not liking football um, and, and bits and pieces that, that were, you know, absolutely ludicrous. And I know that today, I think uh, either Madrid have confirmed or they're in talks with, you know, signing um, David Alaba um, on, on a pre-contract, which will presumably be on a large amount of wages for a side that is seriously in debt. And look, we are not football finance experts at all. Um, we were very fortunate, of course, to, and um, this is the first podcast that we, we will have that goes live since the live stream. So thank you guys very much for your support on that and turning up on that. We did actually record a podcast since with both Charlie and mine's uh, significant others. But unfortunately, um, you know, we had to sort of record that across multiple locations and the audio quality wasn't um, as fantastic as we'd have liked it to be. So unfortunately, that one um, wasn't able to make it to press, but I'm sure we'll, we'll fill that void soon. Um, but all, all I was saying on that front was that we were fortunate enough to have Kira Maguire come on. Um, he was explaining to us, you know, a big football finance expert, a uh, big Brighton fan as well, a lovely bloke. We've had him on the pod before. And he was saying that, obviously, as we'd expect through a pandemic, all the clubs have suffered. But the Premier League ones haven't been quite as hard hit as the likes of the, the Serie A sides, Liga, um, Bundesliga sides, La Liga. So I think, Charlie, for me, that, that was what um, may, maybe hurt the most. That obviously, I don't understand the intricacies of all the, the finance of these um, big clubs, but... To see them quite quickly, you know, jumping um, at this opportunity, especially when, you know, Arsenal have announced redundancies and things like that, that it all doesn't sit quite right. And 
a lack of clarity. And I think that's what football fans, you know, like the most is seeing players come out and be honest and managers be honest. And of course, there's things they can and can't say as a result of contracts and what the media will spin. But, you know, to, to be so underhand was quite crooked. It, it, it was quite bad. Um, so, of course, yeah. Uh, and the protests we saw yesterday before the game were a fantastic coming together of football fans. And we hope now that we can use this to go even further and to protest against, you know, the bad ownership. We are very fortunate um, as Brighton fans and, you know, Brighton's a club to have, not just with Tony Bloom, but with Paul Barr, with Dan Ashworth, to have a really solid infrastructure. We've waxed lyrical, rightly so, about how well the club has run and that hopefully that will help propel us to success in the future. Um, and of course, you know, it, it's not great that other clubs aren't able to have a similar sort of infrastructure that um, would benefit football a lot more. But I think, you know, we're evidence of that football needs competitivity and that you need the chance to be good, be bad, to have things change. And it motivates you. Potter summed it up really well in, the, in a pre-match sort of, um, short clip I saw of him um, speaking to Sky yesterday, so I'd encourage anyone to, to go and see that. I think it's on the Brighton Twitter page. Um, it's, a, it's a great watch. And he spoke about his time in Sweden with Ostersunds and that it, it's, of course, a big motivating factor. And, you know, last last two nights we've seen it at the time of recording this, the day after the Chelsea game, that Chelsea and Liverpool um, both looked pretty average against Leeds and Brighton side. So, of course, we're not getting a look in with the Super League. Um, this is the same Liverpool side we lost at home to Brighton. Of course, we beat Spurs as well. Um, earlier on the season, we've got a good record against Arsenal. So I think they set themselves up for a lot of failure as well. We're trying to break away as bad as it is all financially and with, with their sort of mantra of what they're trying to consider themselves with this closed shop. That, you know, if, you, if you're there dropping points and you're not being perhaps as good as like some Man City, that it's quite hard to sort of paint this picture of yourselves when, you know, you're rocking up to the Amex and Glenn Murray's, you know, scoring match winners against you. Yeah, I, I mean, can't disagree with any of that. It's... um. A horrendous prospect what what they proposed um oh you know I'll touch on some of the things that you mentioned there i mean the real madrid president florentino perez suggested um i'm not sure where he's getting his figures from um but i'll, I'll respect them because they seem reasonable 40 percent of 16 to 24 year olds aren't interested in football if you're talking about across the board i'd probably expect something like that not not everybody can be interested in football it 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 demonstrates a complete disregard for what the sport is, the traditions of why people love football, the people who have invested and built their lives around football, um, to say that this sport can be essentially pulled apart, changed as much as they like to uh, to bring in different um, fan bases. I wouldn't call them fan bases. I just call them consumers. If if these American owners think that they will make more money and they will have more viewers, um, allowing allowing players to to catch the ball, score touchdowns, have halftime shows, then then they wouldn't hesitate. Um, Perez suggested uh, shortening games uh, because apparently young people don't have the attention span to watch football. If you don't have the capacity, the attention span to watch football, you're never really invested in football in the first place. It's not for you. The product is not for you. There's lots of TV shows that I don't watch because it's not for me. I, it's it's extremely frustrating, and it and it and it pulls the masks down from these people who do not care at all about what football is meant to be. They only care about the profits and how many people they can wrangle into sitting placidly in front of something they're not really interested in and watching eyes glazed over football zombies the other things that have upset me that have frustrated me 
I mean, it, it's 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 quite a, it's almost quite a painful prospect um, thinking about where we where we've come from um, and and the dreams that we've had and the and the way the club's been set up to to develop and 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 allow us to dream. A closed competition is a a farce, and it, it as Pep Guardiola said, you can't really put it any better. It's no longer a sport if there's no competition, and there's no chance for for people to reap the rewards of, of being well run. The top six are the top six by a fluke of birth. It's it's on complete virtue of having more status and more power. They're leeching off historical precedent. You're telling me that these people who have vast, vast amounts of wealth, you can you can barely run anything badly with the amount of money that they have. You can hardly you can hardly fail with the amount of money that they have to play with, the amount of money they have to spend. And you think that because people run their clubs smarter, better, come up with innovative ways of thinking outside the box, the likes of Brentford, the likes of Brighton. I mean, we take our podcast now, we're, we're, we're big enthusiasts of data. Um, football is ingenuity. It is people like Liam going to the effort, the painstaking time to look at the superiority hypothesis in left-footed penalty taking because he thinks there might be a benefit there. If we beat Liverpool because we get our left-footed Dan Byrne to smash home a penalty because he's innately better at taking them, you know, that's that's no flute. That's hours and hours of effort and ingenuity and innovation and thinking outside the box. And that is what the sporting dream is. And to say that you want to close shop to prevent these kind of things from happening, to say, you know, we we are innately, organically better than these clubs. We deserve more. No one can overtake us. Tottenham, I don't. I, I said before we started recording that I didn't want to dig individual clubs out, but the, the the state of their play right now is is shocking. Arsenal and Tottenham is embarrassing. Um, in terms of super clubs, I, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that Tottenham have more in common with a Leicester or a Norwich City than they do with the Real Madrid. You know, they're a very, very historic, fantastic, rich football history. But for me, you know, we, they they cannot consider themselves part of this uh, God-given elite group. And, and none of them can because no one no one has the right to be better than anyone else just just because you're bigger and richer. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a horrendous precedent to set. Chelsea have you know they they have been down in the 70s they've been down in lower leagues and they've built themselves back up on merit and they and they were invested in heavily a lot of people didn't like it a lot of people have issues with it uh, in 2003 but we are Brighton are very much the same the only reason Brighton have come this far is because of smart and substantial investment from from a fan Tony Bloom this reason it's us and it's not Walsall it's not Carlisle it's not Crew, it's not Stockport the teams that we were playing when I when I was growing up, um, and the reason Chelsea are ahead of us are because you know the the investment scale is so much higher. We don't quite have as much money, so Bloom's investment has had to be more methodical, a little bit slower. It's had to be a slower progress um, with with infrastructure at the heart of that. I am appalled that that Chelsea, who are who are no different to us in their football story, uh, think that they have the right to shut us out and shut any club out who have the dream, which every football fan does, 
and I know that I've spoken for quite a long time now, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be quiet. But I, I, I'm appalled and I'm disappointed, and I think we all know that sanctions have to come. And I, I mean, what do you think, Liam, in terms of sanctions? What, what, what happens now? I guess is the question. Um, I've spoken long enough about how how bad it is and how much it upsets me. You know, what what do you think happens now to these clubs? Is it financial penalties? Is it is it points deductions? I'd I'd love to be part of the board that um, get to decide this. I just firstly, Charlie, want to sort of echo what, what you say that um, I think us football fans, and I, I emphasise us because obviously we are just a large collective of individuals, but everyone feels rightly very united on this, and that look as fans who have spent years growing up watching a side who you know we we never disliked the standard that Brighton were at it was just it was just what they were you know I um, was at Adams Park at, against Wickham when Glenn Morris scored that famous bicycle kick you know as a um, as a young lad and that that's just the way that things go um, so perhaps it's difficult for the fans of bigger clubs to to empathize with that and I do also find it challenging, you know, because the, the average age of a football fan, I believe, is sort of in, in their 50s or 60s. So I'm very conscious that I may have seen up to a third of the football than what they have. But yeah, look, I, I've been on this planet for enough time now and watch probably too much football, many people would say. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's never enough. But it, it, it's hard for me to look at teams like Spurs. Um, Arsenal, to an extent, fair enough. They, they were big when I was a an infant as a young child but you know as I've grown up they've they've won a few FA Cups that they're okay I, I was fortunate to see United be such a successful side but to to look at some of the teams now that you know what you consider to be a big club is is open for debate and it's a stupid debate because everyone's going to disagree and it doesn't really matter um the idea that the big six is of course sort of based financially um and there's been some some fantastic debates between sort of Carragher and Neville and I you know, I really liked how honest they were about their potential hypocrisy with them working for Sky and bits and pieces, of course. The debate then remains about where does Sky and BT and the, the TV providers stand in all this because they, again, are complicit in what they're charging. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of pointing fingers here. Um, I, I sort of had the, the jokey suggestion that beyond whatever needs to happen in terms of legalities of point deductions and bits and pieces, to, to be fair, um, I, I would love to see all the sides that signed up next season give a guard of honour to every single team in the Premier League who did not sign up. So to the other 14 sides, every single um, every single game, um, both home and away, um, as, you know, with how documented football is now, to, to see photos of Liverpool players having to clap Brighton players onto the Anfield pitch would be absolutely delightful. And these, these photos will, will last a lifetime. And hopefully that will serve as beyond whatever points can do as a reminder. And hopefully for the embarrassment that will cause at your own home ground, having to do that. Um, it's a very petty suggestion for me, but I really like that they're, they're weird things, guards of honour, because obviously teams only get it when they win a title. Um, they're sort of very prestige things and that they seem quite weird. I know it's obviously very military and, you know, very um, to do with the royals and whatnot, um, which is obviously more developments that we don't need to go into. Um, but that sort of thing for me would be hopefully really sort of psychologically damaging to have to deal with that embarrassment. Um, you know, it almost feels like you know. I, I don't know if anyone's ever experienced it, but when you've you've had games in PE that you've lost, and then um, or games against your mates when you've lost them in PE, then you've had to go to sort of your your last lesson of the day, and, and you've lost, and you sat there miserable in maths because your mates are beating you in football, which is a really inconsequential result. Um, but that sort of thing for me would be absolutely delightful. Um, obviously, Charlie, if, if you're okay to know, I think we should 
let's try and be positive and chat about some actual football because as we've said Brighton made some history last night as we've we've done multiple times this season and um we've been inconsistent results wise performance wise and holding on to leads admittedly we've led at some some tough sides and the way that we've lost games or dropped points hasn't always been necessarily poor on on our part um but we played really well yet again we've kept or Rob Sanchez has been in inspired form and delighted to say that I had both him and Lewis Dunk in my FPL team last night. Um, so got got the the clean sheet bonuses for them. Um, he's kept a clean sheet in half of his games this calendar year, which is a fascinating and wonderful return. Obviously, I'm not here to suggest that that just means good defending. And of course, Rob Sanchez is not solely responsible for that. This is a big um, team-wide as well. Team-wide is important because um, if, if you look at the stats, which of course we try to on this podcast, uh, in, in the game against Everton, because unfortunately at the time of recording, the advanced metrics aren't out just yet for the Chelsea game. But Neil Mopai recorded, I think it was 33 pressures and 31 touches of the ball against Everton. So he recorded more pressures than he actually did actions on the ball, um, which just goes to show, one, how much he and the other players offer without the ball and also how important, you know, also analysing. And that's where the difficulties are. If we're being critical like Neville and Carragher are about their position, that what we do in analytics and with stats is, OK, how, how can we improve? And the fact that we don't have too much off the ball, at least at uh, accessible level for, for ourselves compared to sort of the clubs is, um, what we can use to analyse players with and the, the lack of off-the-ball defensive metrics is an area to improve. But we're starting to get there and that's one thing and that I think Charlie will, will both agree that defensively we've been really strong and that's been down to how we've mixed up our ability to press teams. I really liked how we went man-for-man at times last night in Chelsea's half. Um, it almost seems to be, you know, people seem to critique pressing weirdly and um, the, the stats that FB Ref and Satsman give out are quite difficult ones because... I think fundamentally pressing is really hard to measure in terms of success. They class it as a turnover within five seconds of the press occurring, which is fine. That's their way of doing it. Of course, pressing depends on what you're pressing for, right? Um, and I'll refer to it again, Charlie. I remember you wrote a great piece about um, Brighton's pressing patterns and the pressing traps that they set at, at Selhurst Park um, two seasons back now for um, you know that, that famous win um, using knockout against Sahara, etc. Um, and how you're doing it, of course, isn't for us to know. We can try and make educated guesses, but of course, any Potter and the players and the staff know. Um, but I, I really liked how they just didn't allow Chelsea to build up well. They just disrupted. Um, sometimes pressing us out too about winning the ball back or forcing high turnovers. Admittedly, we did and made a good chance off of it. But they went man for man. Um, they stepped on to, you know, once that ball went wide to the defenders, they cut that line back to the GK. They they prevented the recycling. They just made it difficult and awkward. Um, and I, I really like that, that. Uh, a two-call side who are really good. They're really expansive. Admittedly, they've, they've got comments about them being boring and not necessarily insane to watch. It's not quite like, like Leeds with their basketball-like games. But to be able to do that against a Chelsea side who have really wiped the floor with us in previous seasons, admittedly, that game of the Amex sticks out, you know, when they went two up inside 10 minutes with that goal where William and Hazard are back-hitting it to each other and firing it into the top corner. I remember going to the game a couple of seasons ago um, as well, the midweek one where, where we lost Loftus-Cheek coming into the top corner that... You know, we, we looked so far apart from them, quite literally almost a league apart. And now I think we've shown um, you know, a real element of quality as well and deserving all the clean sheets that we're getting this calendar year, all the defensive success. And of course, whilst we aren't always scoring goals, that's not always a problem. We're not losing games and with the draw specialists, so be it. But I think that's the really strong foundation. Fergie always said that um, you know, attack wins you games, but defence wins you titles. And that will hopefully really help us build and, and move forward um, love to get your your thoughts on that, Charlie. Yeah, I think you're you're right. It's a very impressive performance defensively. We were outstanding. 
they were they were very good out of possession too, and they and they always are. Um, I noted that the, you know the game was very boring. Um, it was very structured. I anticipated it would be that way. Um, I mentioned a little bit before that both teams kind of have very strict play patterns and also very strict um, uh, shape for when they're out of possession. Um, it was it was interesting to see that we both set up in a very similar fashion, both in in formation and also in in kind of tactical. Uh, you know, desirability of what we wanted to achieve in the game. Um, I worried because I felt like if we set up, you know, similarly to them, it would just be a case of two teams playing the same the same way, and and what will what will happen is that the the team with better players will win. Um, and you know, they have got a an illustrious uh, list of very expensive and, and very um, very successful international footballers. Um, but you know what we do too. We have some very emerging um, great players who who are who are really coming to their own. Um, I would say that it was for the most impressive or the most notable thing uh, that I liked out of the game was was the counter pressing from both teams. Uh, we struggled a lot in the first half. We we nearly got robbed of possession uh, in very dangerous areas, and I, and I, we nearly were punished for that. It was a couple of slightly dodgy passes from White and from Webster. Um, but you know I don't really put you know it's a mistake. It's it's something that can be really costly. Uh, but it, it does take bravery to try and play through that. So there's a positive there, and also Chelsea are one of the best in terms of their in terms of their setup. Um, and we and we did the same to them uh, throughout the game. But it, it became very notable uh, in the last sort of 15, 10 minutes when when Morpé and Lana came on, who are fantastic, absolute pressing monsters. Really, really good, both of them. Uh, McAllister as well was a little bit unimpressive in possession. Didn't quite make too much happen. Uh, you know, that's asking a lot. I'm asking him to do essentially the world class thing, which is which is pull something out of nothing and, and create um against a really, really top side. Um, you know, so those are really high standards, but out of possession he was faultless and, and was a you know a key part of our of our pressing and our defensive organization. Towards the end, we we nearly lost the game because uh well if you if you look at what happened, so there was a lot of people so Dan Byrne is passed the ball back from Moda and, and he has nowhere to go. Um, you know, there's a debate as to whether that's Moda's fault or whether, you know, whether Dan Byrne should do something a little bit more productive with it. In any case, the ball's lost and it's switched over to hudson Adoy on the on the far side. And and having played very well, it would have been a massive shame if we'd lost. So, um, you know, Ben White did the right thing um, and, and, and brought him down. Um, unfortunately, he'll miss Sheffield United game, but ultimately this is a very important point for us away at Stamford Bridge um, and we do have more defensive options now with Webster and Byrne returning to full fitness so I think overall result wise it's it's massive I think we can also be very pleased as you said with the with the manner of the game um, suggestions Chelsea were might have been tired a little bit sluggish after their um, their cup exploits but to be honest you know I don't think they have that excuse you know they still had a lot of talent on the pitch uh, they brought on a lot of pace, uh, which we dealt with very well. Veltman, potentially player of the season with his fantastic one-on-one defending, uh, has never really looked like he fears anybody. He goes in for some fantastic challenges and, and wins them. Um, so I, I'm very satisfied with with what happens. We've got a very big game coming up. It'll be a completely different kind of game. Of course, um, the, the level of the opposition is dialed down. Um, but I expect... You know, we're going to have to play very well once again um, to uh, to get anything out. And defensive com- uh, complacency will be will be our downfall. 
Um, one of the one of the things that has been important as well, uh, I think we should talk about. I think you've got some things to mention about Robert Sanchez. Um, you know, he's been fantastic. There was a moment in the second half, it's a shot just above his head, a really difficult place to 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 get your arms up, especially as a as a as a tall goalkeeper. But you, you know, his hand movement very fast. Again, very composed. You know, don't feel nervous with him in goal at all. Um, you know he's been massive, and I, I'm, as a as a goalkeeping enthusiast, Liam, you know I'm sure you'll agree that he's uh, been a massive part of what of what we're achieving at the moment, alongside uh, uh, a defence which has changed in personnel, but has um, has maintained a, a remarkable level level of consistency. Yeah, he's been absolutely quality. Um, I remember at the time when he he sort of lined up for the debut against Spurs. That um, similar to how I was when Lampy had his debut. That of course now we can look back and talk about how great he was, but. You just remember that with young players, obviously, they get that one opportunity to break straight in. I thought that's a really tough game to go in for your first one. Of course, he, you know, Jobbert was been so solid this season. I think that Spurs game is the only time I can really pick him out for making a mistake when he almost spooned one into into his own net. Um, people, please do keep your eyes peeled. We'll be having a, a big thread on Sanchez soon. There is a piece up on the Scouted Football website who are your home for all the under-23 stuff. Loads of stuff on Brighton, of course, with our great sort of youth system coming through. Um, so there is a piece up on Sanchez already, but I'm going to go for a bit more in-depth one, looking a bit more granularly sort of at um, the shot-stopping stuff in terms of, you know, him holding shots, also, you know, his, his great, um, or his aggressive approach, I should say, to sort of dealing with crosses and distribution bits and pieces. So that will take a little bit of time, but it'll be well worth the wait. So yeah, keep dry spell for that one. Um, I think that's what one of the things that impressed me, Charlie, last night in particular was, I think Martin Tyler also mentioned, you know, how good his handling was that, for the most part, at least from an observation perspective, of course, as, as big we are for stats here as well, you know, we also, you need to observe things with your eyes because there's a lot of things that you can't, and goalkeeping in particular is a tough one because it will be very objective and very binary and goalkeeping situations can vary massively. So stats are really important, but goalkeepers are definitely ones that you particularly need to analyse with your eyes as well and, and definitely trust yourself for what you see. Um, his frequency, I think, of which he holds shots is quite good. And when he does parry shots, for the most part, he seems to push him into quite good locations. I know that we've, we've talked about before, he's had some errors where the, the Burnley goal and obviously um, the, the Dan Byrne own goal against Wolves that have been a result of that. But look, those are two examples that are going to stand out because they led to goals conceded. I think for the most part, he's been quite good in sort of his power locations and he gets a good power for that. From, from watching some of his shots back earlier on today, one of the things that I noticed with him is that he seems to wait until quite late on. I guess that might be, uh, might be as a result of his size that he is able to, you know, he's got that power to be able to, to dive late to, um, you know, track the flight of the ball more, um, which clearly benefits him. Um, and again, 1v1, he seems very upright, um, doesn't seem to fly in too soon most of the time. There are occasions where, um, uh, you know, I've seen him in, in the West Ham game for their, for their first equalising goal, um, where he can be a bit over-aggressive, but clearly he's maturing, you know, with more Premier League experience. And, and same for him, for Ben White, for the others that are having their sort of first Premier League full season, especially this isn't with fans. It's a very sort of awkward um, environment to be in that, they probably deserve some slack being cut because of that. It, it's tricky because obviously if you're old enough or whatever, you're good enough. And that's, that's definitely true. Um, and, and look, you can clearly see that he's really coming into his own. He's now quite deservedly got the, Sp uh, the Spanish recognition. Um, I believe as well, fantastically over Vincente Gaeta, um, who is, you know, as much as we are a Brighton podcast, I think Charlie and I can both agree that he is actually an exceptional goalkeeper. And, you know, where would Crystal Palace be without him? Definitely below Brighton probably is, is one of the answers there. Um, so to see where Sanchez goes, obviously you, the one downside to him being so good is that he might get plucked by by someone else. If he does, it'll probably be for a fairly big fee, especially at his age. You know, there's very few goalkeepers that um, 
at performing as well as Sanchez does at his age. I think he's got the best clean sheet rate of, of any under-22 goalkeeper across Europe's big five leagues. And I think, I'm not sure if he does now, we'll wait to see when the stats come out, but if he's not above Ilan Melia, he'll be second to Ilan Melia um, in that same you know criteria, but for save percentage. So absolutely flying the season um, and you know, a, a big part of Brighton's success um, and really like him. Can't wait to see you know what more he can do um, and be hopefully be a big player in the running as well. Um, as, as some tough games, um, but we might benefit more from that, Charlie. It'd be interesting to get, get your take on this in terms of um, the possession nature, the possession orientation of the teams that you might be playing, um, and of course, three away games have to play. And great to see that we've we've once again set a new um, set ourselves a, a new record for away points in the season. Um, absolutely flying on the road this campaign. Is that the case? Yeah, we talk about um, the the last few games of the season and, and where we might pick up our points and how we might fare. So is that the case? So have we already broken our record for away points? Indeed, twenty one this season. It was nineteen last uh, last season. Absolutely fantastic. Wow. So we still wow, very good. We still got three games to play. Yeah, yeah. three winnable in my view away games: <laughs> United, Wolves, and Arsenal. I, um, I think they. I think those are winnable games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so if we look at if we look at the fixtures that we, that we've got coming up, um, so the next three: Sheffield United away, Leeds at home, and Wolves away. Um, you know, we'll, we'll try and take it as, as as close to one by one. You know, Sheffield United are are down; they are devoid of confidence. Um, it, it's I don't want to speak too much about it, just because it's one of those where I I think frankly. Um, I expected them to struggle when they came up because I didn't think, without significant overhaul of squad, I didn't think the quality of player that they had would be enough. Um, and they were a fantastic example, obviously very, very current, uh, very relevant point at this time, that it's not necessarily all about the quality of the players. It's about the the structure of the team, the spirit of the team, the ethos of the team. And and that that counts for a lot, and that made them very very difficult to play against. Um, you know, we we recall going there um, later in in the season last year, needing a, basically a point to just kind of steady the ship a little bit. We weren't really in a dire situation, but it's one of those where you know another loss, another loss is not is not good. Um, you know, we got we got a nice point, and we we had to, we really had to dig in. Um, we frustrated them. We were a little bit dull. We were a little bit low blocky you know it was it was a, a Hewton ball um you know without any disrespect it was a very good defensive performance I'd let you know to stress you know we had we but we we sacrificed a lot of attacking adventure for that um and, and they've completely regressed they're not the same anymore because the confidence the team ethos a lot of key injuries as well um has, has basically butchered them and they don't have the squad to support so I would say that that is a game we really need to be looking to win Leeds um I mean, the, the 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 suggestion is that Leeds tend to, because of the the intensity of which they play, they um they they tend to trail off towards the end of seasons. Obviously, a certain certain journalist got uh, a lot of stick for that unnecessarily. Let's be honest. Um, I I would hope that you know we played really well at Ellen Road. I think that you know there's definitely scope for us to to do similar. Wolves are in a bad moment. Um, done a little bit better of recent but they're still missing key players um few injuries a little bit of unrest you know i don't think the mood's great there um west ham i think will be one of the toughest games 
next to Man City. Um, not just because where they are in the league, but I think the the style in which they play, they don't mind defending and they don't mind playing on transition. I was actually looking at some, I think it might have been on your page, Liam. I don't know if you liked it or, or retweeted it, but uh, Jesse Lingard's uh, physical uh, numbers in terms of his pace and his sprints uh, is quite remarkable. It's a high-intensity, high-octane football that uh, that they can certainly produce. So um, I, I worry for that. Um, Man City are, you know... I don't really want to talk about them because they are just on another level. They are unbelievable. Um, And the worst part is that they know that we're a decent side and they respect us. And that makes it all the worse because there's no room for complacency. Pep understands uh, the dangers that we um, possess. That is the difficult thing with being a side that is on the up and is building towards quite a positive project. Um, You know, Turns out other people watch us too. So, you know, that could be problematic. And then the last day of the season, we'll have fans. Um, and it might be a day I suspect dominated by protests, um, given the uh, dissatisfaction of the current situation. Mm. Um, but I would hope by that point <laughs> that we are more than safe and that we can play with, with a freedom and uh, try and poke holes in what has been a relatively charitable Arsenal defence over the last year. Mm. Um, I suppose the point being is that in each of these games, City, Arsenal and Leeds could go either way in terms of possession, but the rest I expect us to have the bulk of the ball. And if we can defend well when when we do come under the cosh and, um, and maybe score first, that would be nice. Um, mm. You know, we might just have a chance of um, of racking up a pretty admirable points total, to be honest. Yeah. It's a tricky one because obviously, as you've said, Charlie, it could go one of multiple ways. Um, The interesting thing will be to see, of course, with how the balance of possession goes, what Potter does sort of in the reverse fixtures. So so we saw at Leeds, that was one of the first times we really went for a pragmatic approach in a game where we maybe could have dominated the ball more. Likewise, you, you look at the West Ham fixture, who are absolutely flying, and yet they always seem to drop points. Or not, they always seem to. They always drop points at this price in the Premier League. So whether we buy into the, the tradition and the rule book at all, um, or you know the, the um, previous fixtures guide, um, you know that, that might just be our, our football romance coming out rather than trying to base it off the trends, um, will, of course, remain to be seen. But look, Bryce have been a really good side. Um, if you take the table since January the 1st, so since, since the turn of the year, we're a top half side, 21 points, um, puts us ninth in, in that table, which is two points below Leeds. Um, Arsenal on 26th, up in sixth. City are unsurprisingly running away with it, 48 points in that time. You know, only lost two and they've won 16, which is absolutely disgusting. Blades are second bottom to Saints, Saints bottom on 10, which is just terrible. We've conceded 37 goals in that time. Blades have only scored nine goals since the turn of the year um, on 12 points. They're, they're second bottom. So, Wolves below us as well by a point. So, you know, when we look at the league table compared to sort of more like the current form, we've got games around us where we we can take results from it. Um, I, I think from a personal perspective, with six games to play, we're looking at eight points to set a, a club record for um, most points in the Premier League season, which is two wins, two draws and two losses. I think from, from that list of six games I'd be quite content with that I'd love to see a you know be able to tick off a, a club points record a away points record clean sheets record um probably I presume it's gonna be our youngest team as well based on the trends of the season so you know I think 
after what's been a, a challenging year and we've had some real sticky points, I think that would be a really great way to be able to look back and say, we really did good and we've really ended this season on a high. If you look at sort of our, our previous seasons, I mean, last season we took nine points from our from our final, um, sorry, 12 points from our final nine games after sort of the restart. In 18-19, we really fell away. Um, you know, we, we didn't win any of our last 10, was it, Charlie? I don't think. In 17-18, mm-hmm. we beat United to stay up. Um, and before that, our only win was against Arsenal, wasn't it, in March, which I think, based on the points, ended up being enough to keep us up. Um, when I worked out last season, the average to stay up was 34.7 points, which is obviously 0.7 points of what we've got now. So theoretically, one point is enough. But of course, with the form that we're in and the quality we possess, I think we'd all be really disappointed if we didn't push on. So I, I think that's a really, really achievable target. Um, you know, what remains to be seen is how far we can get. We are four points off Palace. Admittedly, I think they, they do have a game in hand on us. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a bit difficult to see. Um so we'll wait and see, but I'd love to finish above Palace. I, I really, really would. Um, it would it would obviously hurt even more knowing that we should have taken more points off from the season, but obviously we don't just want to discuss Palace every single week. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed that we can get more onto that. But I think on balance, what we can at least take away from it is that our underlying numbers are now quite consistent with our actual, you know, what's being performed out on the pitch in terms of the, the results. So whether we want to read too much into the XG or not, you sort of remains to be seen, but I think the eye test and the numbers are very much aligning now and that we're happy with how we're performing, that not only now are we limiting teams to sort of low numbers, we're also limiting, you know, from a visual perspective, teams to chances that are from range or from, you know, chances where we're not letting teams get into range where, you know, didn't allow Hamas Rodriguez to have space on the edge of the area, didn't allow them to get into really good advanced positions in the box. So we're stopping players also getting into positions where they can be really good and really dangerous to us. And I think we're starting to do, do the same on the flip side of getting our players into positions where they can be really dangerous. Um, and, and hopefully sort of something can kick on. I think Pascal Gross is one, one or two assists off what he hit in the 17-18 season. Mapai is two goals away from his total last season. So um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of hunger from the players as well to sort of eclipse some individual individual totals. I think I think there's a lot of belief and confidence in the group. I think Morpe, just as a just as a side mention, I just want to get out there that he he was really good when he came on and he obviously contributes so much um to to our oppressing and our attacking play um i think every every year that that goes by our um you know our, our squad which is relatively young um he matures develops lalana has played a decent amount this year um i'm i'm almost glad in some senses i mean he missed a couple of, of decentish chances last night i was kind of mentioning to somebody the other day that He's a very, very talented footballer, unbelievably technically gifted, really, really good. But I'm I'm glad he's not any better than he is. And the reason for that is that at his age and at his reliability in terms of fitness and injuries, and with with the setup of the amount of younger players with a lot of potential and a lot of ability coming through. I mean, Sanders has had to leave. We've still got Malumbi, we've got Teddy Jenks, we've got um, Caicedo, we've got Moda, we've got Proper, who's barely played. He's been so important in previous seasons, barely played this season for for a variety of reasons. Basuma, Alzate, you know, the it's a it's a crazy list. Gross. Um, in in essence, if he was any better, you know, we we it would be hard to justify easing him out of of playing. Um, obviously, I still believe very strongly that we should play the best team that is likely to get us. The best result, but I think it will give us more scope for his role 
to develop over this three years, which is supposed to be, you know, a, a role that transitions more and more into a off the pitch influential role. And I think that will come into fruition um, as we develop. You know, this is a project that is not going to be, you know, if we if we'd got what we deserved in in quotation marks in terms of expected points and and some some outcomes this season, we'd be very very high in the table, and that would almost be a that would be a meteoric rise in terms of where we've come from positionally in the table in previous seasons. And ultimately, we want a longer term project. Uh, we want, uh, you know, Sheffield United finished very high one season and, and now they are relegated already. Um, and so, you know, that is how volatile things are. I think we can be assured, even if things don't quite go the way that we want them to, uh, in terms of individual results the 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 ground work is there for a very bright future and uh, to end on a positive note i guess um given given the drama and the tension that's that's happened this week uh with a positive result for the albion and uh some positive results and individual performances for um individuals who are favorites of this podcast so i will talk a little bit about um one of my great loves, Roman Uremchuk, who scored two and assisted one uh, in a 7-2 away victory um, in the uh, in the Belgian league uh, last week and has uh, got himself into the European team of the week uh, this week, which was very nice to see. It was one of the players that I suggested we should be looking into to maybe uh, to maybe bring in as a, as a striker option. Um, so with our 50 to 100 million dividend that we get as a sorry from the Super Six, um, after after the fiasco of this week, we could potentially turn our um, our financial uh, interest towards bringing him in. And um, I I happen to also turn over to BT Sport to watch a little bit of the Australian League, um, having remembered uh, Liam's interest in 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 such games. And I was uh, pleased to see the Melbourne Derby. On um, and there was a particular player, Jamie McLaren, who is uh, who Liam is a massive fan of, and I can see why because he's a very, very good forward, very, very versatile, and and I am now a fan, to be honest. Um, who scored five goals, uh, in an emphatic win. Um, Liam, you know, as we wrap up and we look to you know the future, and and you know this is the fun of what of what we do, getting to look at players that we like, think about innovative solutions to to just making Brighton as, as good as they can be and, and realise the potential that, that is obviously there. Um, you know, a little bit on Jamie McLean. How, you know, <laughs> how did he end up scoring five? What what happened there? Why is he so good? Admittedly, two were penalties, um, which... No, they count. They do, they do. We obviously won't get into this debate. Um, but look, from a Brighton perspective this season, we can quite comfortably say that um, we're not going to disregard penalty guys. It doesn't make you a worse striker because there's a team that... I haven't scored penalties when we've needed to, that we would very much like a quality penalty taker. Um, uh, you know, ideally he'll take some of his left foot as well if he's any good. Um, but look, he's he's an outstanding forward. His, his channel running is really good. Um, attacks crosses really well with left foot, right foot head. Um, the, the, to be honest, the, the main reason that I've been watching the early games are because they're, they're on in the morning, in the morning here in the UK, 8am, 10am games. So it's, it's great sort of first thing in the morning whilst you're having breakfast or doing some work, whatever, just stick one on. Um, and I think that's the beauty, Charlie, to be fair, of modern football and, and how things are. Um, and that, you know, with, you know, looking away from as we, we started to come full circle about the, the Super League to see 
um, all the competitivity that occurs in different leagues around the world to potentially recruit from these sorts of leagues and to find these innovative solutions that, that Bryce have done it when we picked up the likes of Rob Sanchez from Spain when he was, what, 15, 16, brought him across and now he's a, he's a Premier League player, that we don't want to lose the opportunity to still be so creative and so um, innovative with our with our methods and approaches. So he, for me, is a quality forward, of course. I've not done the, the level of scouting on him that would be needed to um, assess if he's a, the right fit for Brighton at sort of a, um, a serious level, but he's the sort of solution that I, I look at um, in this sort of climate where funds are limited. Um, you're looking for, if you want to quote unquote, natural goal scorer. And we often see this just thrown about on Twitter. That, oh, Brighton would be a top six side or a top 10 side if they had a clinical striker. I think you can apply these notions of anything like that to any team that if any team had a 30 goal a season striker, they'd be doing better because they'd have more goals and therefore they should get more points in their games. Um, the reality is that most teams don't have a clinical striker because it's really, really hard to be a world-class finisher and then not get bought very quickly. Um, so I think that's, it's, it's a really stupid claim as far as I'm concerned, um, because that idea that it's that solvable is probably part of the problem as well. Okay, if you can just find Bryson a clinical striker that another team won't buy, that will agree personal terms, that will fit Potter's style of play um, and all the bits and pieces like that, and we'll be able to chance transfer their output depending on where they're coming from, then, you know, by all means, go do it. And I'm sure that Bryson will give you a club in their sort of recruitment um, department. But um be interesting to see, looking forward to the summer window, what sort of recruitment we do make. Because, of course, it, it was limited, um, presumably following, you know, the finances as a, as a result of the pandemic. Um, and, and, you know, if, if they've hopefully got any sense, Bryson, they'll have listened to the podcast and they'll have made a few notes. Um, and, yeah, we look forward to see who they bring in. I've no doubt they're listening. I mean, that was, you know, meant to be a little um, um, happy note on the end there, but uh, we we will throw in a nice rant as well. That's, uh, <laughs> we don't mind that. That's probably more our style. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Um, thank you all for um, supporting us and supporting uh, the club that we have all united under. Um, and yeah, thank you, football fans, for for doing the right thing, for for demonstrating your power, for preventing what was going to be a horrendous outcome for, for so many uh, from, from ever getting off the ground. Uh, so I, I have a, a renewed optimism in in people's um, beliefs and, uh, you know, loyalty to their clubs. So, so well done to everybody. Um, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.